0: Papa is brought to you by Just Some Podcast Video. The views on this podcast are those solely of the host and do not represent the views or opinions of any other institution. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Echo. Hear clearly, care confidently. Learn more at EchoHealth.com. That's E K O Health.com. And use code PAPA for 10% off. The stethoscope of your choice. Nurse Papa! Nurse Papa! Welcome to Nurse Papa, a podcast from the heart and mind of a pediatric oncology nurse and father. In each episode, I take a deep dive into a story of parenthood, or I tackle a parenting question from one of my loyal listeners, in a segment called Dear Nurse Papa. In either case, I hope to come out on the other side with a better understanding of what makes kids and their parents tick. As I witness all the pain and chaos that's happening these days, I am ever more thankful for my family. Not just the people I live with and love, but my human family. All the people I know and don't know. This episode is for all of us. But before we get to that, let's hear from our sponsor. When I listen to little hearts and lungs at work, I use my 3M Littmann Core digital stethoscope, powered with advanced ECHO Core technology. With the press of a button, the sounds I hear can be enhanced 40 times, from this to this. Learn more at ECHOHealth.com, that's E-K-O-Health.com, and use code PAPA. For 10% off, the stethoscope of your choice. And now, our episode. Family is where you find it. For many people, the prescribed physical isolation of the pandemic exposed how very alone they already felt. The mundane interactions they once depended on to meet their daily needs. A casual exchange at a cash register. Thank you. You have a good day. The brush of two shoulders on a crowded bus even the ambient sounds of perfect strangers laughing (laughs) fulfilled a need they did not even realize they had it's the need to be seen and to see others even when those others were unknown to them all humans need to feel a part of something larger than themselves we grow psychologically and emotionally by literally or figuratively bumping into and bouncing off of individuals who are different these collisions of the mind heart and body are often messy sometimes they even hurt, but they also help us to transcend that which blocks us by providing ways to see ourselves through another prism. To put it another way, they offer a mirror that returns our glance but with a different expression. Being forced to physically avoid others disrupted this natural exchange for many people. It emptied their emotional tanks. Those of us who quarantined with a family unit were compelled to spend an enormous amount of time with people we already knew quite well. I know you! And we were often quite surprised to discover that we could somehow get to know them even better. Our faces, our bodies, our odors, our habits, even our dreams. All of these attributes were amplified and sometimes distorted in the echo chamber that became our social bubbles individual traits were put on full display for each family member to take in, critique, consume, and ultimately absorb as their own. There was nowhere to go, little else to distract us, and we even ran out of good shows to watch on Netflix. Just like isolation, though, this smorgasbord of closeness revealed its own innate flaws. At times, the closeness did not serve us. It highlighted the insecurities and forgettable incompatibilities that were once kept in check by the fact that we could simply create space between ourselves and the others we loved. We could leave the house, see a friend, go to work. We could conveniently check out from those who most expertly pushed our buttons and tugged most stridently at our hearts. Goodbye! Even as the love for our brothers, sisters, wives, husbands, parents, and or children grew deeper and more intimate, it became clear that the family connections that sustained us all could not be all that sustains us. Just like that person sitting alone in their studio apartment, transfixed by the latest episode of Tiger King, and wishing someone was sitting next to them to appreciate the weirdness, many of us who were constantly surrounded by others felt completely alone, too. (laughs) What this intense and unplanned human experiment has shown me is the deceptively obvious reality that there is no single way for a person to feel they are a meaningful part of a whole. The more uncomfortable realization is that, although the people we are closest to often provide what we need and desire, they cannot reasonably be expected to provide everything we need and desire. We need to think outside of the family box that so many of us have placed ourselves in. Perhaps this nuclear unit that we once considered to be our family can include members beyond those we live with, are related to, and know best. Maybe, those of us without partners, kids, or even housemates, can find and nurture family in the most unlikely of places. We can find kismet with strangers we encounter on walks, exchange pleasantries with salespeople in stores, or simply experience the same inevitable urge as other humans who are lined up single file, waiting for the restroom, all performing some modified version of the classic pee dance. Dance, dance. Dance, dance. Despite all the physical death and emotional destruction that this pandemic year plus has wrought and that the current year promises, we have also seen how much we all need each other and that the way we find each other can be unexpected. It has beckoned us to places we did not know we wanted to go. This search for camaraderie requires a leap of faith and a sincere desire to encounter points of view other than our own. Hmm? It asks that we see all humans as a part of our larger family Hmm. and the people we desire to help and hold. In the children's hospital where I work, caring for kids with cancer and other chronic diseases, I have seen firsthand an organic collection of like and unlike-minded souls the people drawn to this place by occupation or illness often band together to create a bond usually found only among blood relatives. They are brothers and sisters who share the experience of being young and sick. They are mothers and fathers joined in heartache and hope. They are caregivers who all understand more than ever how good it feels to care for one another. In this hospital home, we all live and breathe together, along with all the fun and dysfunction that is bound to exist among such a diverse set of people. Sometimes we thrive, often we struggle, but we rarely do it alone. One day at work, I found myself kneeling by the bedside of one of my older patients. His name was Mohammed, and he was in his mid-twenties. His cancer had returned, and he was on his own. His family lived overseas, and they were rarely able to be at the hospital with him. The doctors say that I probably have less than a year left to live, he told me soon after I entered his room. I heard, I responded. I should have felt uneasy discussing this boy's imminent death, but I didn't. This must be such an overwhelming experience, I told him. I'm glad to see you, though. You're looking well and happy. Mohammed just sat there in his bed, a wide smile on his patchy, bearded face, in a relaxed manner that, in this context, would have surprised most people. I had grown accustomed to his even-keeled attitude, though. It's just the way I've always been, even when I was a little kid, he once told me when I asked him about it. I don't have much time, I know, and any time I spend feeling sad or depressed is time that I'm just not being myself, time when I'm already dead. Hakuna Matata, he said with a smile. Hakuna Matata no worries what a wonderful way to live the lyrics from that cheerful song from the movie lion king played in my mind as i knelt next to muhammad's bed what an amazing way to die i thought to myself when muhammad was first diagnosed with his disease He was so disoriented from the delirium of the hospital and the many drugs clouding his brain that he very nearly lost his mind he was not himself late one night in the hospital he became confused and yanked out the central line that entered through his arm and traveled all the way to his heart his blood was everywhere and as his nurses tried to calm him he was screaming clearly yet incoherently As he regarded in disbelief the blood covering his chest and hands, he kept yelling up to the lights above him and the nurses working swiftly around him. I killed someone! I think I killed someone! Ironically, at almost that exact same moment, a few rooms away, a young girl named Lisa died from her disease. But Mohammed had nothing to do with that. Lisa's mother was also not with her. For days after, Nurses who were working together with those two patients would recount the eerie confluence of those two moments and the tragedies that bring patients so close, if not together. As I knelt beside him on this day, Muhammad was himself again, even though he too was slowly dying. He was not happy about this reality, he assured me, but he was at peace with it. He told me that he had just recently broken the news of his poor prognosis to his brother and mother. It was clear from his telling that he took more care for their feelings than he did for his own. He just wanted them to be okay with the cruel fate that he had already calmly resigned himself to. This characteristic selflessness reminded me of a time months earlier when Muhammad was first diagnosed. His doctors wanted to use his cancer cells for a research study. He consented to participate because it might help people like him not experience pain, but he would agree to it only if the mice in the experiments were treated nicely. The mice. Muhammad and I talked and laughed together as I knelt by his bedside. He told me about his time away from the hospital and the awkward deficits of his disease that he somehow found grace in soon after mohammed found out that his tumor had returned this time all over his body his close friends had thrown him a huge party which he knew would probably be his last the whole night i had this huge smile on my face he said it was amazing to see so many people who cared about me even people who barely knew me i've never had so much fun in my life it was my death party my death party in turn I told Mohammed about a birthday party we had just thrown for my son the week before. When Mohammed asked for it, I showed him a picture of my family from that party day. In the photo, we are all wearing funny headbands with antennas, it was a bug theme party, and squinting in the bright midday sun. We were all holding each other tightly. Mohammed looked at the photo for a long moment, taking in all the details of the silly scene. I would not be able to contain my joy if I had what you have, he said with no trace of envy. His glassy eyes locked with mine until I had to look away. In the quiet of his hospital room, without anything to distract us, it felt easy to listen and share with each other these small details of our lives. Here in this place, where there is often no cure, there exists something else that we can give and receive. To be present and undistracted, to acknowledge a person's joy or their fears without agenda, is a gift that I have come to expect as normal around here. It's what family does. Without saying it, I let Muhammad know that I cared about him deeply, that I saw him. With his smile and gracious manner, he revealed to me his beautiful courage and uncommon wisdom. He also showed me that I had a purpose in his life other than to administer chemotherapy, that I could be useful to him even though I was powerless to save him, that I was part of his family, too. Every one of us belongs to a family, some that we were born into and others that we have found and become part of. To me, the singular quality of family is that its members know and accept each other for who they are and what they are going through. We are there for each other during the mundane moments to share a smile or a joke. We are there, too, for the life-changing times, in which our presence is our only power. When people let their guard down and bear their innermost feelings and fears, their vulnerability is a powerful act of creation. What they create is a family, and we all are part of it. Remember, Nurse Papa is also a book. Within it, you'll find stories that might just change how you look at life and indeed parenting. Nurse Papa has been my labor of love, but it offers much more than my own perspective. You'll learn from the voices of seasoned nurses, some of my young patients, and these patients' parents, each adding their own personal perspective about love, life, death, and learning. Nurse Papa is now available for purchase on Amazon and other bookseller sites. Please consider picking up a copy and, when you're done, leaving a public review on Amazon, Goodreads, or anywhere else where people go to find meaningful books. Thank you so much for your support, and stay tuned for the next episode of the Nurse Papa Podcast.